Welcome Seekers of Truth, coming to you from the edge of the known universe, better known as the Granite State, home of Betty and Barney Hill. Through the magic of electronic alchemy, a portal to another dimension has opened. You are about to make a metaphysical connection. This is the Fedora Chronicles Network. Walter Bosley returns to the Metaphysical Connection to talk more about lost civilizations, secret societies, and teases Walt Schnabel and me, Eric Render King Fisk, about his upcoming project. Stay tuned. We we just uh, we we're still mourning the loss of Art Bell, and I was wondering if you yeah. if you had an, an an anecdote that you wanted to share with Art Bell to kick off the show. Uh, no anecdotes because I never met the man. I I didn't get the opportunity to be on the show, you know, w- with him. Um, in fact, by the time I was on the show, it was 2006. And I think uh, George and the other guys had really taken over during the week. And I was on the Saturday show with Ian Punnett. So unfortunately, I I never got to encounter Art personally. But uh, I will say that I was one of those. I kind of came late to Coast to Coast. Um, I didn't start listening to it till uh, 99. And I'll tell you what hooked me was the Mel's Hole story. (laughs) Yeah. That one just really, I got a kick out of that. And I loved hearing him talk about that you know, whenever that was on. And, and that, that's what got me listening to the show with any regularity. But I was out of the country a lot between 2000 and 2005, um, mid-2005. So I missed a lot during those years, but I would catch it as I could. And, of course, by the time I was done traveling on that particular job, George and the other guys had uh, taken over. So, um, you know... Uh, he uh art bell was i mean just a natural at what he you know did and just really you know in coast to coast created you know something awesome and uh you know it's too bad he couldn't continue with it in his own style um but uh, he you know he definitely was uh, a natural and one of the best at what he did we were we were uh, conjecturing on his cause of death uh, because there was no clear mm-hmm. cause of death stated. I don't think so. I, I I conjectured that maybe the fact that he married a twenty two year twenty two year old <laughs> Filipino woman when he was seventy um, <laughs> might have had something to do with it. That's the way just, to go, right? That is. <laughs> no, he was a he he was a he was a force definitely. Um, you know, he he really started this whole. You know, genre. I guess you could say, in in some ways. You know, he brought it to the, you know, to the general public. Yeah, exactly. I think he made it um, big. You know, yeah. some yeah. people would say that. You know, you go back to the, and this was before my time, but you know, the Long John Neville show, and you know, maybe some other shows. But uh, Art Bell definitely, you know, made it um, the thing it is today. No matter who does it, they really, they really owe it to Art Bell. I yeah, can I can actually pioneer this this kind of uh, topic I guess um, I, I would like to just be able to say if it if it wasn't for Art Bell we would not have podcasts like the metaphysical connection and I, right. I, and I yeah. do actually think that he he started something that is bigger than all of us so anyway 
I, I'd like to throw in something that came to mind. Just you know, um, here's the thing I liked about Art's version of his show more than anybody who's done it since. Okay, and that is when I listened to Art really in his heyday, you know, '99. You know, when I started listening to it, um, uh, I felt like I was listening. I was hanging out with a bunch of like-minded guys or a like-minded friend, and it was we were telling those spooky, really cool stories or having a really great personal discussion. Um, anytime I listen to his show, I have never once had that feeling since the show was taken over by the other guys. To be honest, the show has really just been in its style and tone just you know another radio show since you know after art let it go but when art was on it just didn't seem like another radio show it it really seemed like you know something different something cool and and i just i i think that was the special thing he did he seemed to really immerse himself in in whatever Mm -hmm. the topic was and it I, wasn't yeah. surf, wasn't a surface treatment. It was almost like he was really, he right. was really feeling it, you know, on an yeah. emotional level. Like he was interested in it, and you know, yeah. knew something yeah. about it, unlike mm-hmm. some other people. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm right here. I'm right here. You just you don't <laughs> you just tell me just tell me if I'm doing something wrong. I, I I would like to be able to think that that's something that that we should really aim for is to sort of have that sort of feeling, whereas it's just a phone call with just a couple of like-minded friends who are fascinated with the paranormal. Um, And I think that that's something that I I said um, to Walt early on. We don't want to copy his style, right? but we want to emulate it, honor it. I'm not sure. But anyway, um, we have a lot to talk about, whereas is like since the last time we had you on the show, I think that um, quite a few things have changed in the realm of the paranormal. And I think that the obvious question that everybody in our listening audience um, wants to know from you is what, what, what's going on? Well, there's uh, research wise. I am working on um, the research that will end up being a new book, of course. And uh, I put it that way because I know generally that it's going to be um, similar to my other secret missions books in that um, it's going to be a, a book about, um, you know, topic or topics relative to the, um, say, the age of exploration or the um, uh, subject of exploration into ancient cities or, you know, ancient artifacts, that kind of thing. But um, th- there's possibly you know, something going on that history has never taught us. You know, that's, that's the, if, if you've read my secret missions books, you know, that's the general theme and it's in that, that category um, that I'm researching. And I never, I never discuss the details, of course, before the book comes out. I like the, the, whatever the specific subject it ends up being on to be kind of fresh and, you know, of interest rather than talking it to death so that by the time the book comes out people feel like they've already read it that, that kind of defeats the purpose but it is kind of um, a secret missions thing and and i'm pretty sure the fans of those books um, i've written three of those now um will really enjoy this one and even you know if you've never read one of my secret missions books um you know it'll still be something of interest so that has me immersed in um the the 19th century and farther back you know my favorite eras of course to to write about and study research and as far as um 
other things, I have um, something that I might be, um, if, you, if you follow my Walter Bosley channel on YouTube, I will be making an announcement shortly, either tonight or probably tomorrow, about an exciting development that's happening with um, another of my uh, uh, works and some, some media stuff that's going on right now. I'm finalizing um, something, and I'll just leave you hanging in suspense. Uh, is this live, or is this going to air later? This is this is going to air um, Saturday at. This, we release it to the to the world on Saturday at noon. Oh, okay. So okay. So what well, we- it's 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 um, there's some media stuff going on with uh, with some other of my books. Um, looks like maybe some some media development, but. Uh, I, uh, I, it's, it's just a, it's just a thing I do. I don't say until I say, but, uh, by the time this airs, I probably, you can, you'll, the listeners, if you're hearing this now, you'll be able to go to my Walter Bosley channel at YouTube or my Facebook or Twitter and, and see what the announcement is if you haven't seen it already. And what we'll probably do is on the metaphysical podcast dot com website we will definitely have a link to what whatever okay. it is so okay absolutely and we'll and we'll also have links to all of your uh, your books and your media and everything so just go cool. for, for for everybody who's listening right now in the future listen to go just go to metaphysicalpodcast.com and you'll get all the information just click click the link for the show page and um, you'll you'll get the lowdown on one of your websites you have mm-hmm. the lost continent library where you have a collection of books on the paranormal um, and Walt and I wanted to know is do you have is it just your books or are you publishing other people's books as well are you referring to my lulu.com uh, storefront? I think I am. Yeah, it has my nonfiction works and my my fiction works, which are mostly pulp fiction, mystical adventure, that kind of thing. And, and they're all identified. If you look at the descriptions, and I think by the cover art, it's pretty obvious which is the, which is the fiction and which is the nonfiction. Um, you know, some people accuse my nonfiction of being novels. So <laughs> <laughs> that's you know. fine. You know, if it's <laughs> that, if that it, happens, if people, uh, it's, de- it's definitely novel, if nothing else. <laughs> yes, it's novel, if not a novel. Right. 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 Um, that's my yeah, that's my um, my storefront page. The only place where you can get my books. I think I only have two titles left on uh, Kindle. And that's just to keep that active because I am going to be coming out with future products on Kindle. Um, but for the most part, my books can only be obtained print on demand. Um, I'm Amazon is not kind to small press publishers or independent authors. So I, I had to pull from, from Amazon. It was not worth being on Kindle. Um, so it's just print on demand. Um, you have to wait a few extra days to get your book, but it's worth it because they're very nicely printed and, and you get an actual physical book, you know, in your hands. And, um, I, in the past, published, I think, five other authors, and there are a few titles of the other authors remaining, but I have pulled back from uh, publishing other authors just because I got so busy with my own stuff. And it's so easy for people to just create their own label, their own imprint, as we say in publishing, and publish themselves these days because... Self-publishing um, is a little bit more, and on in some cases, quite a bit more respectful, respectable than it used to be. Um, I think uh, in this digital age, 
Um, you know, I'm talking about the old days of the vanity press where, you know, you would pay some vanity press company to print your book essentially. And it didn't matter, you know, how bad it was now there. Yeah. There's still a lot of that out there, but, uh, in the digital age, it has allowed the true, um, independent professional to market themselves and distribute their own product. And, um, people ask me, why don't you publish your books with a, you know, a, a bigger publishing company or the, the kind of backhanded insulting, uh, a, a real publishing company. <laughs> And I'll tell you why. Um, I like the control that I have over when my books are released, what they look like, and so forth. But um, when the media stuff happens, I'm the publisher. <laughs> I make I, I make the money, you know, on it, rather than you know some other guys with the publishing company giving me a small percentage. So it's just been smarter for me, it, you know, for those various reasons to just and my um my education you know when i went to college my degrees in journalism specifically um news editorial magazine production publishing that kind of thing so you know it's kind of my expertise so i, I kind of know how to do it so um anyway that's why i do the 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 print on demand because i'm a creative person and i kind of like how i do things so um that's where you can find all the stuff is that lulu.com page l-u-l-u.com now that makes a lot of sense to do it that way especially for you given um given your credentials that you have <clears throat> so you know that, that's you know I, I i've got a book out myself and you know i went through the whole thing with the publisher and the editor and all that stuff and it, it really does take away a degree of creative control over it you right. know, if they don't <clears throat> if they don't like your idea for the cover or you don't like their idea you know you go back and forth and all that stuff and, um, you know so that's, that's the only thing that another publishing company would offer me um would be if they're a big company and yeah they got all my books on the shelves in barnes and noble but these days who cares about that right honestly um mm -hmm. uh, you know yeah, i'll true. take it if i can get it but um, I don't lose sleep over not having my books on the shelf at BNN. Um, but the only other thing they can do for me is, okay, maybe their editor will, um, you know, craft my, my paragraphs and, you know, diction a, a little more polished than I will. But mm -hmm. um, that's an opinion. And, <laughs> right. you, you know, um, I, it's I'm happy enough with, with how I do the things. So, um, you know. Like I said, the digital world allows guys like us to do that, so why not take advantage of it? Absolutely. So, um, the, for the for the few listeners who didn't hear the previous show that you did with us, you you talked a lot about um, uh, the the flying club. This is the Sonora Flying Club, I guess it is. The Sonora Aero, Aero Club. Aero, Aero Club, right. Um, yes. <clears throat> is there anything, have you uncovered anything new about that particular topic, or is that something that, I mean, has that morphed into anything uh, current day, I guess? Um, well, in, um, in my, of course, in my books, um, Origin, and in Secret Missions 3, the one about Ambrose Bierce, Right. I in both those books I go into, of course, what I think was the Sonora Aero Club influence on the uh, the breakaway that I hypothesize um, 
emerged out of the post-Civil War era and was really the source of the 1890s airship mystery in the United States. Um, and, of course, in Empire of the Wheel 2 and 3, I discussed the possible Sonora Aero Club connection to an individual who was arrested in uh, San Bernardino in 1915 um, during that whole mystery that Empire of the Wheel is about. So um, for those who might have heard that uh, show we did previously but haven't you know, read those books yet, it's fleshed out in those books. Now, beyond that, um, I continue always to, um, when I get a chance to go to go to Sonora, California, and up to Tuolumne County. And um, I think I've uh, discussed some of the follow-up research I've done on, again, I refer to my Walter Bosley channel at YouTube. If you go back to 2014 and 15 and, and I think 16, um, you'll see some videos of my follow-up trips there. And uh, they're, they're a lot of fun, but I visit the sites that may have been connected to the Sonora Aero Club in an effort to, you know, find some type of evidence or proof, you know, of the, the uh, these guys, you know, their presence in that area and their activities. So um, I've been working on the secret mission stuff predominantly, but I'm about to jump back into the Sonora Aero Club issue uh, relative to the announcement that I'm going to make. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess where I was going with that was, do you, do you feel that that, that movement um, still exi- exists in some form? Um, for example, say like with the secret space program or, I, I mean, I don't know where you, where are you on that whole topic? Are you, do you have opinions on the secret space program? What, what oh, yes. What's your thinking on that? Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, um, you're, you're, you're hitting all the good marks because <laughs> in my recent book, <laughs> Shimmering oh, good, good, Light, good, 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 good. Yeah, that came out um, just a little over a year ago, um, I do discuss uh, quite a bit what I think of the secret space program. It's my current position that the United States has had a, a classified manned space program started by the U.S. Air Force in the 1950s. Now, in the book Shimmering Light, I go into a, a lot greater detail as to uh, why I think that. It goes into the – now, this is actual history. This isn't um, speculation. Uh, the U.S. Air Force, their aerospace medical division, uh, particularly under the command of Otis Benning, Okay, was really aimed at putting human beings in space. Now, before NASA was founded in 1958, the United States Air Force was um, given the mission to put man in space. And the Mercury program, which all of you who remember the film The Right Stuff, um, that was the Mercury program with uh, John Glenn and and uh, Alan Shepard and those seven astronauts and the you know the little black capsule and the silver spacesuits. Okay, that actual program by name Mercury and everything you see in there was started by the U.S. Air Force and NASA. It was handed to NASA. The Air Force brought it along and uh, handed it over to NASA. And of course, we know the rest of the story from the NASA perspective. It's my, here's where the opinion and the speculation comes in. Based on what we know the Air Force was doing, specifically the Aerospace Medical Division under 
the command of Otis Benton, based upon that actual history. Um, it is my proposal that the U.S. Air Force never stopped um, pursuing their manned space program. I think at that point, the uh, U.S. military manned space program went um, undercover, went classified. And um, the public, of course, saw the American space effort only through the filter of NASA, what the civilian program was doing. It's my opinion that the Air Force and the Navy, those two branches primarily, uh, continued to pursue this classified manned space program. And for the most part, I would say the technology was parallel to uh, what NASA was doing for, I think, obvious logical reasons. At some point, um, I think it's uh, very likely that the military program started pulling ahead of the public civilian program, pulled ahead of what NASA was doing. So that probably by um, the 1980s, uh, the classified program was really able to start doing um, some things that uh, NASA would not have been able to. Uh, now, in this, during let's go back to the period where it was still pretty much parallel technology. Um, I have long been of the opinion that uh, the big secret about Apollo 11 is not that we didn't go. I think that's foolish. Um, of course, we went. Um, it is my position that the secret about Apollo 11 is that it was not the first time we put men on the moon. I think we did it secretly. We might have done it twice even um, because this was a Cold War, we're told. And this was a dog and pony show that the whole world was watching. And it would have been incredibly embarrassing to have attempted this having never done it. Um, so I say there's no way in heck we attempted this without having done it. Not that it wasn't dangerous every time we did it. That's not the point. What I'm saying is I think before Apollo 11, we used the Apollo technology we did it a couple of times secretly to make sure we could do it so that by the time they did Apollo 11, still risky, their lives were still at, at risk and in peril. Um, but they knew that it would work. They knew that they had done it. They were much more confident than we knew. And by the way, that would probably explain why Neil Armstrong was such a recluse when it came to being the first man you know, to set foot on the moon. I mean, I don't care how Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump, aw shucks you are yeah, <laughs> as a yeah. person. If you're the first human being who set foot on the moon, by golly, you're going to come out like, you know, Jimmy Stewart or Gary Cooper and go, aw shucks, I'm nothing special. But you're going to come out there in the parades every year at the anniversary and you're going to wave to the crowd and say you're all shucks and, you know, come on. Yeah, I, and, I yeah. You know, look how Neil Armstrong, he just kind of withdrew. Um you know, and that's not taking away. I, there's going to be a bunch of Buzz Aldrin fanatics out there. Well, if Buzz heard you say that, he'd punch you out, Bosley. Well, good for him. Right, um, right. I stand by my hypothesis, remember. I have no proof. I have no way to prove this. This is just my, you know, um, speculation. So um, where I think it is now, it's a good question you had asked, what I think about the SSP. Um because very recently, in the last few months, for the first time, I've really tried to put numbers to it. And uh, by analyzing the civilian space program, which we know about, and, you know, going from the filter of having, you know, I was on active duty as an Air Force officer and on and on and so forth. And um, it's my opinion that we have a classified 
manned space program, military classified manned space program, I think there's probably about 9,000 personnel who are full-time dedicated to this duty, uh, read in, you know, under working under, um, uh, you know, secrecy agreements and all that, and uh, the ones who actually go off planet. Um, there's probably more support people that don't realize what they're actually supporting. I think it is, uh, I'm sure they use personnel from all branches of the military, but I think it is a primarily a United States Air Force and U.S. Navy um, show. Um, I think I propose that we've put boots on Mars, even if we've only done it one time. Right. Um, I think it's possible that we've done it. We've tried it. We've done it. Um, I think a craft like that from here to another planet would not be what some of these uh, alleged whistleblowing commando knuckleheads are saying, where it's like Star Wars or Star Trek with this (laughs) amazing. No, no, no. I would say that this craft that I theoretically proposed they took to uh, Mars and back would be something more like a Navy submarine. You know, something relatively cramped and limited in size and crew, um, but, you know, of course, self-contained. Think about it. The Navy's been doing that submarine stuff for 100 years. If anybody, you know, they've been operating self-contained, you know, craft in a hostile environment for decades. You know, they would know how to do this. Instead of underwater, it's out in space, you know. so one of the things yeah. I'd like to be able to interject here to let everybody sure. know that there has actually been a lot of media out there to sort of back up your claims. There is a Nova <laughs> special uh, on PBS called Aerospies, where it talks exactly about what you're talking about and, and that they actually built a lot of the spacecraft that you're talking about. Um, and it's, it's speculation as to whether or not they actually put it into space. So you're not, you're not just whistling, you know, into the wind here. You, uh, there is actual documentation out there that backs up what you oh, say. Excellent. Yeah. And, and see, here, and, and there's my point when I speculate, I come to these speculations just on my own analysis of what's out there. And clearly, uh, and, and the reason I say that is anybody, I think, looking you know, at this stuff would come to a similar uh, hypothesis. Walter, what kind of what kind of propulsion system are, are we talking here? Do you have any sense of that? Is it anti gravity well, technology, or or is that something that's uh, something that is a figment of somebody's imagination? I don't know. It's hard to tell. He'd like to tell us, um, Walt, but he's he's afraid what? that he'd have to kill us. <laughs> um, well, anti gravity, of course, would only be needed where there's gravity. So um, I would say primarily through um, the void of space. I mean, think about it. You know, we've had nuclear technology for some decades now. Um, it's probably some type of, you know, pulse um, type engine, some type of, you know, uh, uh, atomic nuclear or whatever you want to call it uh, type of propulsion. Um, it, it's it's probably um you know, some some answer as simple as that, you know, simple being a relative term. Um, but uh, and then as far as once you get to a celestial body that would have, you know, um, gravity, you know, where you have to deal with gravity. I mean, um, it's possible that there's what we would term anti-gravity, you know, because we know that there had been people working on that for over 100 years. 
Um, and then there's all the rumors of what was accomplished during World War II. And then there's been the stuff that they've uh, accomplished with the superconductors that they put on the little demonstrations, the little cubes for us, you know, the public. Um, so, uh, yeah, the answer to what kind of propulsion system? Yeah, <laughs> because it can be, you know, um, I would say really just um, a combination use of either of those. But, you know, some type of, you know, atomic nuclear uh, pulsar thing. I'm not an engineer, so forgive me. Yeah, no, that's okay. I just was trying yeah. to get your sense of it. Um, also, what about the funding? Where, where's the funding coming from? All that is yeah. that a my, my, is that just a tag on ops kind of thing, or yeah, just to tag on the technical part. What I'm trying to say is, we would use some advanced means of technology we already know and have and have been using, right? Um, so that's what I mean. That's why I come to the, you know, how what the propulsion would be. Is that now? As far as funding, oh, I would highly recommend anybody to uh, pay attention to the work of Catherine Austin Fitz, in particular, uh, because you know, look at all those. You know, for years we joked about the congressman who would give awards for the nine thousand dollar toilet seat and the five thousand dollar crescent wrench. Well, Catherine Austin Fitz um, it does a really good job pointing out. Hmm, maybe a secret space program explains the $5,000 crescent wrench and the $9,000 toilet seat. Mm, good point. Okay. Good point. Yeah. yeah. So the money, what we spend, might be hiding in plain sight. Mm-hmm. So. Well, you, you know, you always hear, well, you, I mean, you hear these stories about them losing, the military losing a huge amount of money or misplacing right. it somehow. You know, like. Right. I don't well, know. Well, she argues happen. that 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 went <clears throat> that probably went right into the secret space program. Yeah, well, that makes sense. That's uh, probably a good reason. That, I mean, they've got to figure out some way of, you know, funneling it off, and that's sure. Yeah, that, sure. That makes and I sense. would I would like to say that <clears throat> I am not opposed to a secret space program at all. I I really hope that those of us who think we have one are right. Yeah. Um, for a variety of reasons, I'm not opposed to it at all. Um, I'm not one of those that thinks just because something's secret, it must be evil. That's that's as uh, as uh, childish as thinking we never went to the moon or right. that the Earth is flat. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's another thing. Well, that kind of begs the question: why, why does it have to be secret? I mean, you know, why why can't it just be? This is what oh, we're doing. Well, I have an answer for that. And I, 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 I was um, hoping you would. It's the it's the whole having the upper hand thing. You know, the classic, um, if you're going to need it um, in a time of war, we're talking about a time of conflict, it's all, you know, it's uh, might be best to not let the other guy know. They might suspect you have it, but, you know, at least not letting them know the extent to which you have it. Now, here's the other side, which is a little more fun for people like us and your listeners. Um, we may not know what's out there, really. We, we may not there might be a very good reason for um, us not knowing uh, this stuff um, and you know initially you kind of go hey wait a minute that sets up a, a situation where it'd be very easy for elites to just take advantage of us you know oh you can't know this you can't know that and I acknowledge that um, but still we we don't know um, 
what's out there to be dealt with. Um, it, the fact that it's secret might have something to do with that threat. It might be that, let, let me put it this way, when I was in, 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 in the operational world and working in national security, when you kept things classified, to be honest, it, it wasn't so much to keep it classified from the people. It was to keep it classified from the enemy, like what I referred to, you know, in the first example of why would it be secret in case you need it more time. Right. But when you, but so imagine if there's some foe, some real or perceived enemy out there somewhere, and we don't really want them to know that we have this, um, that might be why it's kept secret. And the fact that it's kept secret from us is just kind of a, a side product. It's not the original reason that it would, that it's secret. That's just another theory. Um, and, and I personally, I think those two theories cover it. It's, you don't want, they, they don't want somebody to know the extent to which we're operational and capable off this planet for whatever reason that there's somebody and I guarantee you, it's probably an enemy or a perceived enemy. Um, it, it's other than that, there, there's really no reason to keep it secret from the people. I'll throw this out there as well. Um, you look at something like the secret missions of Boeing's mm-hmm. X-37B. What I um, want to know is, is that what happened to Boeing's X-37A? Just just throwing that out there. Um but, you know, all kidding aside here is that you can't actually look at what's going on here and say that there's not a secret space program because you right. have this very public secret spacecraft and they won't they won't tell you what it's doing. They'll, they won't tell you when it goes up until after it goes up. They won't tell you how when it's coming down until it comes down. And they won't even tell us what it's doing up there and and why it's been up there. And it was like, it looks like a tiny craft, but you can also make the case that, you know what, maybe it's not an unmanned program. I mean, who knows? Who knows if it's manned or not? Um, But the thing is, is that I I don't even think that's the tip of the iceberg. I think that's the tip of the tip of the iceberg. They have the support system, this vast support system for this one project. But the thing is, like, if they have a large support system for this little project here, what's to say that it's not a support system for a much larger program? Right. Right. And speaking, since you bring up the term support, I've had people counter, you know, my argument about, well, if there if there's human beings on there, there's life support systems and there has to be communication going on and the public would know about that, to which which I kind of laugh. I say, really? You think particularly nowadays they don't have the means to communicate their life support telemetry or whatever you want to call it um, secretly or encoded so that the public doesn't know that that's life support relative stuff? Come on. Give yeah. me a break. I, I bring up this. We have missile launches here in California from Vandenberg Air Force Base, right? Everybody knows about them. You see them go up. Now, I ask people, how do you know that there's not a human payload on any one of those rockets, you know, at least the rockets that are, of course, you know, the ones that go up, you know, into space. How do you know they don't? Well, I always get the guy that says, my uncle's a tech sergeant at Vandenberg and he works at the launch facility. And I'd say, well, what, what's his job? And, you know, a lot of times you hear, oh, he's a security forces or he's this or that. And I say, well, 
Would he be read in on what's on the payload on that rocket? I already know the answer to that. Not necessarily, or uh, starting not necessarily and moving to the flat out no. Probably okay. not. Um, no, exactly. No. It's, no. If you don't know what's on the payload, and I know for a fact that the classified, I think most people do, the classified payloads are, you know, they're in a pod, okay? And that pod is delivered to the, you know, the, the, the rocket on the pad or whatever right? at some point in the facility where it's put into the rocket. And unless you know what's in that pod, I argue hypothetically, okay, remember, coming from the perspective of being an Air Force officer, you know, in active reserve, but formerly on active duty, and I was an OSI agent, one of my supervisors was one of the few agents who was part of the escort of sensitive and classified craft and space-related things being transported, okay, across land. And, um, you know, I had a pretty high clearance, and, you know, I worked for her, and I wasn't cleared to know what she knew about what was being transported. And uh, that's all I'll say about that, but I know enough to say that I feel confident saying there could be a manned pod with life support system, whatever, taken to the rocket, placed in the rocket, you know, sufficiently shortly before launch, and they could be putting people in space on the rockets. And that's just the rockets, okay? Uh, that's not even getting into the other craft, which they could be putting people up in space, you know, out in the middle of nowhere in the dead of night, you know, all the time that people don't know about. So the idea that people people are still thinking, you know, the Apollo days, <laughs> You know, we put people in space, the public would know about it. It's like, you know, you need to get in the 21st century um, and because it's possible to put people in space without the public knowing about it. Here's another thing that people don't seem to remember. The government lies and the government is very well known to keep secrets. Sure. Perfect example, yeah. the Pentagon Papers. We didn't know mm -hmm. about what the government actually thought or believed about what was going on until Vietnam, until... The Pentagon Papers were released, and that was a big, mm -hmm. huge controversy. There's a, there's mm -hmm. a whole bunch of things that are there are things that are going on constantly that people do not realize. I mean, by the, just out of curiosity, do you know who was visiting the White House today? Do you know who visited the White House yesterday? Yeah, we don't know. You don't know. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you know, and it's that easy simply because we're not there. And also, you know? and now, add on to that the person who's visiting who has sensitive or classified stuff to discuss, there's not going to be a record, not a typical record, you know. They're not going to sign in, as it were, necessarily. So. Prob probably not Stormy Daniels. Do you think that other countries have similar type of programs, say, for example, China or maybe Russia. I know China's got a whole bootload of, of cash to work with. So, um, yeah, and, and, I, I uh, do. a lot of technology, I think. Do you think they have a like a parallel program? Or? Yeah, I, I think the big the big players have to varying degrees um, a classified manned presence up there off this mm -hmm. planet. Yes, I think the Chinese to some degree are doing it. I, I think the Russians, of course, to some degree. Uh, and then uh, England, you know, I don't know if they would ride with us, um, you know, or someone else. 
But I think England has probably has personnel up there, the UK, whatever, you know, the Brits, um, you know, the French, you know, they, I'm sure, because, you know, there's ESA, the European Space Agency. So, um, you know, take your pick with the European nations. Um, and, and, of course, you know, the, if everyone else is going, you know, the Germans aren't going to be left out. So, right, uh, right. so yeah, I mean, you're talking, you know, the, the first world level players, you know, of course, the superpowers, you know, to some extent now, to what degree, you know, it is compared to ours or ours compared to theirs. You know, you'd have to be a true insider, not some time traveling, you know, commando um talking to the blue bird people to to know that you know oh, i wonder who you're talking about Walter. <laughs> don't mince words what do you really think yeah, that, that stuff really that stuff really gets out there um it's it's almost to the point where it's laughable you know it's like you hear this, oh, it's, it's been laughable like from crazy, the beginning you know? and i think finally um it had its i i, I would i this is my guess. I could be wrong, but I, I think it had its little blip in the spotlight last year when it, you know, in the last 18 months when it came in and usurped the spotlight from really what we call legitimate SSP research, um, you know, for its circus of nonsense. And I, I, fortunately, people, people saw through it a lot quicker than I think they the ringmasters hope they would you know and then it was followed up with the ttsa which you know i think is for different reasons and in a different way equally a joke um so we we just sometimes we have to ride out the silliness and uh hang in there and you know it it comes back to the more legitimate uh research and and discussion do you you think that's that kind of stuff's being actually consciously put out there as a sort of diversionary tactic sure i i keep people from focusing on the real what's really absolutely absolutely when you get people uh, here's the scenario as i see it there were by 2015 but you know particularly once we started in the 2000 teens and uh between 2013 and 2015 there were legitimate serious ssp researchers out there scholars okay and they were starting to get noticed more they you know guys like you and other shows were starting to have them on um there was a series of conferences which were you know gaining popularity now if and i i was on the periphery of that i was involved i spoke at one of these and so if those of us in that category you know think about it if we're getting too close to what reality is and they, you know, feel like we got to divert any potential public, you know, attention off these serious guys. Then, you know, the uh, the the perception management controllers within this SSP structure would have to act, and they would have to do something. Now, here's what I think they did. I think a lot of disinformation um, had been uh, they were feeding that disinformation for years. I mean, because some of the bozos we're talking about were had been around longer than, you know, 2013. But um, I think what they did was they passed disinformation through the bozos, through the knuckleheads with the wild, crazy stories. Um, but they also planted some, you know, some of their own operatives in that world. Um, I think you can look to. Uh, TTSA and Tom DeLong, you know, that whole thing. And you're probably going to find the guys who are actual, you know, witting 
operatives of the official effort to steer the attention off of the truth and off of serious things and where you'll find the the goofballs that were just used you know um they'll tell you they're being fed real stuff what what they may or may not realize i say don't realize is that they're just being fed a load of malarkey and they work on your you know when you do this you work on somebody's ego you know you go to some guy who's already said he's a time traveling commando and you say yeah yeah you're right now here's this other thing you know, i'm sorry here's these I avians here you know so every time you say between that, the two laugh. i'm sorry between the two yeah sorry no, it's okay. Every time you say that, I have to laugh. I, I don't mean to be oh. rude. I just, I, I you know. With the blue avians. <laughs> uh, Walter, what, what's your spin on the, uh, I, I guess you would call it the Fourth Reich. Um, do, do, do you feel that that's a valid uh, viewpoint in terms of um, ex- what extended out of World War II? And, you know, it. I mean, there's a lot out there about um you know, they're, they're a, a breakaway right. civilization based on not necessarily the Nazis, but I think the German mindset, which maybe right. goes back to the Tula Society. I, I, I think they were yeah. involved back, way back when. Like they former were, Nazis. Well, you out. know that I have written about and I um, I, I refer to the, the group that I think was behind Nazi Germany as NIMSA. Which yes, we get that, yes, that's a whole yes. other discussion, but we get that yep. term from uh, Charles Delshaw, yes. the original source of that term. Mm-hmm. And um, my work, I've tried to flesh out what I think NIMSA continued to be. Now, I prefer rather than the Fourth Reich, honestly, um, because it's not really the, the, an extension of the Reich or another Reich. Um, mm-hmm. I prefer Joseph Farrell's term. He, he calls it loosely, informally, a Nazi international. Okay. Okay. And mm-hmm. and so yeah, oh, absolutely. I think the basic Nazi uh, philosophy and um, apparatus uh, survived the war and continued. Um, unfortunately, and particularly as of this of, of fall of last year, autumn of last year, I have really come to uh, um, be confident, if not totally convinced yet, but confident in. Uh, the unfortunate uh, position that um, this was primarily continued through Operation Paperclip. I know others have said it before me. Um, Mm -hmm. I've come to really agree with those folks. Um, I've done a series, a video series. It's what I call a video book um, called the NIMSA series. And I'm in the middle of it. I haven't finished them yet. But that starts, um, Tell I, I basically put out you know, this, this NIMSA video series based on the research I've been doing um, on uh, Prussia, you know, uh, the, the Prussians and, and the Prussian political and military and industrial entities that led to the unification of Germany and all that and how that led to Germany in the 20th century and then, you know, World War II and then, of course, how they continued their, um, the, the way they do things, their business once Nazi Germany fell, they used that that Nazi structure that they really created to then get their tendrils into the United States at the end of World War II with this Operation Paperclip. And in that video series at the Walter Bosley channel, I go into that. Um, but yeah, um, I definitely think that uh, they continued. And uh, I, I go into in the, my book Origin, 
um, I go into uh, I, what I think is their involvement in things like 9-11. You know, I'm not the first to go there. Um, mm-hmm. Joseph Farrell has done some excellent work yeah. in that regard yes. and others. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm on that train. I, yeah. I think there was a Nazi international hand in 9-11. Uh, Peter Levenda's got a good book, too. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but it's called oh, yeah. The Hitler Legacy. Um, yes. That's 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 a good good piece of writing too on the topic. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess my my question about this is what what does this look like now? What you know what kind of um, what kind of ramifications are there from this group? You know from this power? This, you know, they obviously I think instead of uh, using the tactic of you know the war tactic or military militarization tactic, they've they. Mm-hmm kind of gone financial um right yes oh so, yeah so, I'm, gl- uh, I'm glad so you what does that, that look what does that look like i mean what um you know what ramifications are there i guess from that for the world or for, well it's a the united it's states very, even it's very simple you know it's that age-old story it it's uh, globalization okay it's mm-hmm. uh you know global dominance that's what they're looking for now here's what i think i don't i i can't say for certain or present the evidence, you know, to, to prove it beyond all doubt as the specific identity. I have my speculations, of course, that I've talked about in my books and on my blog site, empirethewheel.blogspot.com. Um, but what I think is, definitely, there is some group who opposes this, this globalist, um, uh, collectivist, Nazi international NIMSA, whatever you want to call it, there's some group out there that opposes them and keeps them in check. I say that because I think our world and our lives would be a hell of a lot worse than they can be at the bad times if that weren't the case. Because we're dealing with these globalists, okay, these the world's a village people. Um, we're dealing with people who will go will spare no nefarious um, uh, dark evil lengths to have their control and exercise it okay um, something's holding them back something keeps them from doing it now some people say that that what's holding them back is uh, as simple as they have rivalries between themselves so they can't really unify um, I don't. I think there's a little more to it than that. I, I do think that there is something, be it a particular group, be it an alliance of some sort, whatever it is, and um, and it ain't the sphere being alliance. I can tell you that, or any nonsense <laughs> like that. I, I, I use alliance with a small a. Um, uh, there is some group out there that I think keeps them in check, that stands up to them, and um, I have speculated that. Uh, now, this group, this NIMSA, Nazi internationalists, this whatever they call themselves, they are technically a breakaway civilization. That's been discussed elsewhere in my work and many other people's right, work. Right. Um, I think that this other group, this is where my speculation comes in. Um, I think this other group is probably also another breakaway. And um, it's it has become real interesting in recent years because I think recently – they have, this is a speculation, but in gut feeling, intuition, based on what we're seeing, 
Um, I think recently they've really stepped into the game farther to make it be known to the other side that, okay, we're not standing so far back in the shadows anymore. We're ready to meet you. We're ready to stop you and do what it takes. Um, you know, we see things going on in the political arena that, you know, you kind of scratch your head and go, hey, wait a minute, there's got to be some unseen hand going on, you know, active here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because some of, some of the usual bad players just aren't behaving like they normally do. Um, you know, with the finance stuff, there's always something, you know, going on there. Um, it's just, it's it's hard to, honestly, to specifically identify. People ask me that all the time. Hey, specifically, it's like, you can't. And that's the way these guys play it, okay? The guys who are the, the hidden you know, hands and on, on either side, and I think there's two sides at least. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a they, yin they, and yang kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they don't want to be known. They don't want to be specified, pointed out. And um, so it's hard for guys like us, even if we're students of this stuff, we can guess, but we can't really know from our perspective, from our position. I think how, so. How far back do you think that goes? Sorry, I'm going to... No, it's okay. It's all right. How far back in history do you think that whole dynamic goes? I mean, is it is it something oh. that's been with us for almost forever? I, I don't know if you've ever read Gods of Eden, the oh, yes. William Bramley book. Oh, that's, that's yeah. a, it's a classic. Um, well, but he kind of chronicles that whole thing, you know, going back, um, you know, to Egypt and, and even before. So, uh, sure. you know, I, I don't know. This is now modern day, uh, modern day stuff, but... I can only I can only vouch for the errors that I've looked at, and um, I have taken through my research and my um, hypotheses and speculations. Um, I've taken the the uh, globalist Nazi international NIMSA. Let's just call it NIMSA. That's what I call it. I've taken the NIMSA side of it uh, back to you know uh, the late 18th century. Okay, that I can draw a line to, and the the opposition group, the group that I suggest that I hypothesize opposes them. I take them back to um, the post Civil War era here in the states. So, you know, for the younger person, wow, that's a long, long time ago. For you know, guys like us, that's you know, from the historical perspective, that's of course relatively recent, so to speak. Um, But yes, I would say that their influences um, date way back. It's very possible, honestly, that the NIMSA thing, and I've talked about this in two or three of my books, the NIMSA side of it, you can actually, yeah, trace way, 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 way back into ancient times, uh, what they call antediluvian times. Mm -hmm. So the the general, in a general sense, the NIMSA thing is very, very, very ancient now. This brings us back to your first question about my recent research and stuff. I have been, and I'm not going to go into the detail right now. This is part of the new book stuff. But there's another group that has been with us for a very long time, okay, that I think is the source of the opposition side, or at least allied to the side that opposes the NIMSA. And I'm presently in the middle of fleshing that out. So, in a general sense, to answer your question, yeah, it, in a general sense, 
I'm confident that it goes way back into ancient times, but in a more specific, what can I draw a line to? I've only taken it back to the late 18th century in the post-Civil War era for the other side. Mm-hmm. So I think that one of the things that a lot of people are going to want to ask you about mm-hmm. if they were sitting here, what do you think about all of these former Nazis or Nazis who escaped persecution in Germany? Do you think that they set up shop in South America as well as here in the United States and the Soviet Union via Operation Paperclip and whatever the program sure. that the Russians had that's comparable mm-hmm. to Operation Paperclip. Paperclip, do you do you think that there's a heavy influence on both sides and and even in third world countries around the world? Um, the, the the what's the word I'm looking for? Um, do you think that the, the former Nazis have played a very heavy hand in controlling um, uh, events for the past 70 years? Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't think that um, there's such control that they're just constant puppet masters and everything goes their way. But, um, yeah, I do think essentially for uh, maybe not for all the decades, but for... Um, Many of those decades uh, after the war, they were the big man on campus. They pretty much had a field day with, uh, you know, their influence and such. And one of these things is uh, our our modern issue with terrorism. Now, uh, other historical writers, um, Joseph Farrell, I think Peter Lavenda, but others um, have uh, pointed out the German connection to modern jihad. It dates back to World War One, mm-hmm. um, when you know the the German intel guy. Um, and I apologize; his name is escaping me, and I don't have my book right in front of me. But um, he he was the one that first got the idea. Hey, wait a minute! These uh, these Arab Muslims they got this thing called jihad, and if we could get them to aim it at England, that would help us out a lot. And then in World War II, um, uh, I believe it was Otto Skorzeny and his guys um, continued um, being um, actively uh, involved in controlling the, um, the, I think it's called the Islamic Brotherhood or something. There's also the the, um, the Bath Party um, in, mm-hmm. in uh, I think it's in Iraq, that was directly supported and built up by the Nazis um, in the yes. 30s and 40s. And that yeah, so and the, we, ba- the Bath Party still exists. It's a, it's a remnant of, of the Nazis. Yeah. We, you know, we're dealing with what uh, the, the Germans, even before the Nazis, but the Germans under the influence that, you know, created the Nazis, you know, um, what they started. And, and what they created and what they aimed at the Western world. They um, manipulated that part of the world and, and uh, you know, they, they helped them operate and function. So why would they have stopped after World War II? You know, think about that. Look how it's escalated. And this is what ties into the idea that a Nazi international was involved in uh, 9-11 because Use the Muslim terrorists as your patsies. Don't get me wrong. I think 
those knuckleheads did fly those planes. They really believed, you know, uh, all that crap that it was their operation and it was their thing for their glory of Allah, the moon god. Um, but they were being used, okay? Because as, again, our friend Joseph Farrell puts it, an op within an op within an op, okay? So you had the knucklehead clowns on the surface who flew the planes, you know, this, that, and the other. And then you had the uh, guys that were behind them who probably thought they were running the show. <laughs> and then you would have, you know, this this Nazi international slash NIMSA globalist uh, level, you know, pulling all the big strings. And, um, to, I, you know, I see that, as others do, as just an extension of what the Germans were had been doing all along with um, Islamic terrorism. Where does the Tula Society fit into all that? Is that um, that that was kind of connected to the to NIMS, I guess, right? The Tulas were uh, sort of the ones that kind of put Hitler in power in some yeah, sense. Yeah, I, I, I think the Tula Society was one of those that would definitely would have been you know influenced by the the NIMSA. NIMSA, from my perspective, in my work is the hand that was behind all you know the Tula Society and in, in the general state of uh, the German occult, mystical occult mm -hmm. science tech mm -hmm. culture leading up to World War II. Yeah. So they were sort of just one channel of that larger um, aspect, I guess. Yeah, NIMSA. yeah. NIMSA was basically manipulating, you know, what I call NIMSA, this thing was manipulating um, mm -hmm. all facets of uh, Germany. Um, and they were yeah. they were industrialists, German industrialists. They're um, sort of I would uh, well, industrialists would have been, you know, among their leadership. Yeah, their number, but more yeah. specifically, not just industrialists, but industrialists who are also, you know, mystic minded, because that's another element of this: the the mysticism, the yes. the alchemy, yes. the uh, mm -hmm. you know, the hermeticism. That's an important key factor into this. So um, I guess to, to kind of move the conversation along to, not without changing gears too much, what about the um, Antarctica situation? Um, huh. That, um, you know, there's a lot of conjecture about mm -hmm. what's going on down there um, with the Nazis connected, you know, right. that, you know the Nazis took um, their technology and, and brought it down to some base or something in Antarctica and, um, you know, creating like a breakaway society there. What's your thinking on that? Do you have any, uh, yes. any opinions um, on that or is that, a, uh, <laughs> is that yeah, something you don't want to talk about? I'll share something with you that I was told um, about 22 years ago, okay? Mm -hmm. um, without going too far into it, I... In my career, in my life, I had a mentor. He's since passed away a couple of years ago. And um, I was told in 1996, now at the time, I was uh, in the Air Force. I was an OSI agent. Mm -hmm. uh, in 96, 97, I was told this sometime around there. And I was, um, at the time, my assignment was uh, Wright-Patterson. And... Um, not in any official briefing, not on the base, but in a private conversation with my mentor who had retired with over 40 years in the intelligence community, okay, and had been mm -hmm. U.S. Army, Special Forces himself and all that. Um, he told me, again, you know, going back 20-something years, he told me um, because of some 
independent research I was doing um, that uh, about some stuff that had happened in Antarctica. Now, I'll tell you, and you tell me if this sounds familiar. And remember that I'm being told this over 20 years ago, okay? Mm-hmm. He told me that they, you know, you use the term they, but he was specifically referring to, you know, government-associated scientists and military, had found an enormous hole in Antarctica. And when they went down to investigate it, went into it, they found ancient machinery that was huge. Okay? And the nature of this and the size of it and how old it was scared the hell out of the scientists. That's all I was told except this additional part. I was told that this had happened, this had been found after World War II, right after World War II, dating it back to the 1950s. Now, that's the basic story that we've been hearing about, you know, from these, this is what's going on in Antarctica, people, okay, Mm -hmm. on, you know, social media and then on shows like this, you know, podcasts and stuff that, you know, oh, a group of scientists found a big hole and they went down in it and they, you know, some people say they found a spaceship or some people say they found a lost city in ancient ruins. Oh, and there was this one group of scientists that came out of the hole after being lost and they were so scared they couldn't speak, blah, blah, blah. Now you hear the same basic stuff in there that I told you, I was told 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. These people tell us that this just recently happened. So what do I think about that? Well, I don't think the same thing just recently happened. Um, I'm not sure that what I was told is necessarily the truth. What I'm seeing here is that there's some type of narrative that gets told to a number of people, okay? And I think it's very probably, possibly, let's say, for the purpose of inking the waters. In other words, there's a group out there, they operate on a certain deep level, and when they want to um, uh, uh, employ or use a number of people, they need to first know they can trust them. And one of the ways you do that, it's a classic thing. People out there know what I'm saying when I say you ink the waters. You put your ink out there, and if this comes back to you, either it appears in the media or it comes from a roundabout source, you know exactly who you told that, shared that ink with, who you told that story to. So you find out who's talking. You find out who you can trust. Now, I didn't tell you any, you know, any of this until... I would, you know, years after I was told about this. At the time I was told about this, it was something that I was to keep close to vest. Okay, I was still active duty, and I, I never discussed this until a few years ago. And I've never discussed it in this much detail until after the man who told me passed away. And I've been out, you know, of the national security game for years. Okay, um, what I'm saying is that it's very possible that what we're hearing, this narrative that that comes out of Antarctica might uh, allegedly about what comes out of Antarctica might simply be a false narrative to see who's going to run their mouth or to see uh, how, how much they spin it. Or it could even be for the purpose of um, muddying the waters because something really was found there, which I think is true. Um, And, you know, they just, they kind of want to, they kind of want to get people diverted off on the wrong path. 
right well, here's a question so, for, okay that's what i think here's a question for you though that i think is um, very very dubious what was john mm-hmm. Kerry, former secretary of state at the time he was yes. a secretary of state mm-hmm. at the time what was he doing down in antarctica on election day of all days that's right that's right. That's something that I'm. I I don't care what anybody says. He's there to witness the effects of global warming warming firsthand right. on all the right. days for him to be there in Antarctica. The Secretary right. of State chose that day to That's go right. to Antarctica to to look at melting ice. I I, I don't on buy the it. day on the day that the United States is voting to change, you know, its leadership to the next person, you know, and our secretary of state uh, you know, on that day is down there. It begs the question, who is in Antarctica that our secretary of state might need to meet with or explain things to, right? And there's a lot of things. There are a lot of people who well, have gone down there. Buzz Aldrin, um, the patriarch of Eastern Orthodox Christianity, right? Kirill. Yeah. Um, he's like the Pope of Eastern Orthodox Christianity. You know, he's gone down there. And, and you know, they say, oh, it was to bless a chapel. Okay, that's not, I, I think the blessing the chapel was a target of opportunity. Hey, while you're down here, Kirill, we want you to go bless this chapel because that's <laughs> yeah. the cover story. You got to ask yourself, who were these people meeting with? Now, that's why I say earlier, I do indeed think something has been found in Antarctica. Something's down there that is major. Um, but the specifics, the story we're hearing, and I admit it, I was told, you know, uh, quietly and in trust 20 something years ago virtually the same story but you know i i like to be honest with myself as much as everybody else you know that that whole thing could just be a false narrative that might not be exactly who and what's down there just to see if you'll run your Uh, mouth off yeah first yeah first to see if you'll run your mouth and uh, second to see you know how much you'll buy and you know and also it's a great way to find out you know how where does the leak go because if somebody tells yeah. you and you tell somebody that's, else that's a great way to backtrack where the rumor mill is that's what inking the waters is when you ink the waters you want to see where that where the water flows so you put the ink in up here and when when it comes out at the other end you you can trace exactly exactly and so the now here's the thing though i want to emphasize again the specific story about finding the hole and the scientists and what was found down there was ancient and it scared the hell out of them. The specific story might be the false narrative, but indeed I think there's something big going on in Antarctica that they, they with quotation marks, don't want us to know about yet. Um, Here's something that I found really yeah, interesting. Gingrich was down there most recently. Um, Walt's going to crack I guess he was representing the Trump administration. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, well, I don't if know you why recall, Newt if you recall back in, I believe it was 1982, Newt Gingrich had a book out about, you know, the, uh, the, the very pro space program about the man, the future of the man space program, what we should be doing and stuff. And, and uh, that's kind of, I think it's interesting now you tell me that, you know, he's gone down there recently mm-hmm. and, and he's a very strong proponent of the space program. Now people. Oh, I didn't know that. That, the, that. that is yeah. an interesting wrinkle. I didn't, I wasn't aware. Oh of yeah. That. Yeah. Go, go back and, and look at all the books he's written. He's written. And if you look in the early 19, I see, I remember it specifically because I was working at a B Dalton bookstore and I remember shelving the things. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking, who's this new Greengerch guy? 
right. you know, because I'm into the space program. So, you know, there's a guy who you say, well, point to someone specific. I would say definitely he probably was is aware to some degree of, you know, something going on with the secret space program. Don't forget stuff. he was also the former um, Speaker of the House Speaker of the in House. the 90s. By virtue of that alone, he, you know, was probably briefed in being, what, third in line to be president. He's going to he's going to know something, yeah. <laughs> you know. Not the specifics that the president gets briefed in on. And there's another thing I come to I'd like to comment on. This, <laughs> this nonsense, when we're talking about UFOs and ETs and the truth about this, that, and the other, these people who will say that the president is not briefed in, you know, entirely on the alien and the UFO situation. I'm sorry, that's one of the most ridiculous things that has been popular in the last several years. You know, and um, that's just utter nonsense. You think you think that if there are aliens, they'll brief the president no matter who the president Uh, is? Oh, my God. That's probably top of the list. (laughs) I mean, think about it. You've become president. You're you're reporting for duty. What do you think? is one of the first things you learn about, if not the first. Well, it seems that. logical. Well, <laughs> but they the, but the president on what the most pressing things are. These people, and I know you're, mm. I know there's probably, I hate to say it, there might even be someone out there listening to this saying, that darn Bosley, he just don't know. He's not an insider. He you doesn't. know, it, it's, yeah. it, it, it's, I'm sorry, folks. It's just not logical. And the people who perpetuate this stuff, they either know they're full of crap and making it up or they're buying into somebody else's line of crap um, I, it's just plain dumb the I president would, yes gets briefed in on this stuff i would only buy that if you also believe that the president is not in charge of the country the secret society or secret cabal is in charge <laughs> and he's just a figurehead then it, then that yeah. would make sense then that yeah, would make sure. sense yeah and, and yeah, if you buy into that yeah i i could see that i get the logic and hey i think that's where the logic comes from i you know because the um, thing is you look at somebody like hillary clinton Another secretary of state who, when she was running for president, she won the promises, full disclosure. Now, do you think that they would let her disclose whoever they are, whoever you believe in? Would they allow her Uh, to do that? Here's what I think happens on that. The reason, if it's ever alluded to, and when it doesn't happen, I think that first big briefing they get is, oh, and by the way, Mr. New President, um, we know you said you want to reveal this stuff, but here's why you can't. Boom. They lay that file on them. And they here's my point. When people become president, when anyone becomes president, they learn something, something that is the reason they don't discuss it again or, or they don't act on right. what they said they were going to do. They learn something, even if for those who want to be real grounded and not believe in aliens and all that stuff. Right. Even if it's just that, hey, what you're talking about is our stuff. It's secret space program stuff. You can't blab this. You can't reveal it. Okay. But they learn something. They're told something that just nips that disclosure stuff in the bud. Here's two things, two, two lines mm-hmm. of thought that I have. Could they say yeah. something like, listen, Bill, we know you like the, 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 the interns, We'll mm-hmm. keep your secret a secret so long as you do not follow through on your disclosure. If you start talking about disclosure and stuff, like, and if you start leaking things to the media, 
we're going to let people know about your fascination with young interns. Do you think that they um, could actually use their person, their personal problems or devices they, I against them? I don't think them? they have to. I, I, honestly, people don't realize that, you know, um, I don't think they have to. I think that the president on his own, on the level that the president operates, I, I, I guarantee you there's some type of secrecy agreement on the presidential level. And I think the penalties of that are so legally impunitively severe that they don't need to use the dirty tricks. Now, I'll throw in there, I'm not saying that it's not there as a tool to, you know, kind of remind them that they mean business. Sure, sure. I, so I'm not going to say that they wouldn't use it, but I, I don't think they have to. I think that now consider this. What if the reason for not disclosing it is so compelling that, again, they don't need to use that kind of thing that whoever becomes president realizes, oh, my God, you know, this is what's really going on out there. And it's so compelling. You know, there's the story about Jimmy Carter. Yes. There's the story about when he was briefed in on this stuff, he broke down sobbing for hours. So what the hell? You know, I want to say, man up, Jimmy, you know, because yeah. the other presidents, you didn't hear that about that, them. Yeah, they, but, well, you uh, haven't heard you it. Know, didn't mean it didn't it, happen. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, what the hell did he learn? If this, let's say this story is true. We don't know for sure that it is or isn't. But let's say it's true. If it's true, what the hell was he told about that that got that reaction out of him? Think about it. So. It makes you wonder what's, what's in the vault, you know? I mean. Yeah. Yeah, wow. so to speak. That's, yeah. hmm, that's interesting, though. It, it, you know, it's 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 the whole thing that, you know, there's always, it always seems like there's some kind of power structure that we're just not aware of, you know. For, oh, sure. For, oh, yeah. for whatever reason, you know. Yeah. And, like and, and that a, goes back to, you know, generation after generation. Like of, there's an extra branch of, intrigue, of I guess. Like um, there's an extra, do you, yeah. Do you... Um, do you give any credibility to the concept of the Illuminati? I know that kind of goes back to the to the sure. NIMS a little bit. Sure. Do you, I, do you have uh, any maybe, thinking on that? Yeah, maybe not as such. You know, um, maybe you know, I, I or, or whatever you, right, yeah, whatever you. Of course, a, a hidden hand in things. Absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. I think there is, um, and I think there there are such groups um, uh, on. Uh, you know, both ends of the spectrum, what we would call good and bad, um, you know, but yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think there, there is something out there and my research on my current book, you know, kind of gets into looking at uh, the various historical um, possibilities and, and, and claims of that relative to what and who it is I'm researching. So, yeah, I do think, I, I do think there's some, something like that out there and has been for a very long time there's a, that goes back to to bavaria too which is you know kind of tied in with the nimza maybe you know that whole sure. yeah. that whole movement um the uh the the thing is that i i love the i love the idea that you're bringing forward of there being two opposing forces that are constantly sort of you know battling oh maybe not sure. battle is not even the right word maybe just um, balancing maybe is a better maneuvering. Better they maneuvering. are maneuvering. That's yeah, a good word. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I love that concept. And uh, so, when do you think your book is uh, gonna gonna 
hit the I'm, hit the airwaves. I'm shooting for um, this summer. Mm-hmm. I'm shooting for this summer, but um, as by the time this hits the air and people uh, hear it, you know, I have some media things that are happening that might make me um, uh, a little busier than I expected, which is a good thing. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it's I, good for you, um, but it's going to be make it hard for us to get you back as a guest. <laughs> well, there, there'll, uh, you know, for better or worse, there will be potentially more me, you know, um, out there. And uh, so um, if I'm if I'm busy with that stuff, you know, it might delay the book a little bit, but I am shooting for the summer. And this is based on knowing how I work and what stage of research I'm in now. I mean, we're already in May. My gosh, summer starts what next month? And, um, you know, so we're talking July or August, I think. Oh, actually, with this being the first week of May, yeah, it's going to be at least um, August before this book would be out. So, uh uh-oh, I'm officially shifting my projection right here on your show. It's going to be either late summer or early autumn before this new book will be out. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, I think that that's... I'm I'm looking forward to it. I've I've really got my interest on it uh, peaked on it now after you know what we've been talking about i'm loving the research i'm getting a kick out of the research it's the best um, and the first two sources i read on it um i were lucky finds in a used bookstore um it, i was on a trip out of state and i came across these two books and they were they were already in line with what my research is and you know what i was pursuing but they really advanced it big time and so I think, yeah, if you like those Secret Missions books, you're, I think you're really going to like this one a lot. You're going to love it as much as I, I am researching it. Well, some people might not might say that that was not luck, that that was sort of meant to come. Well, yeah, I'm one of those, but yeah. I, uh, I like to keep it, you know. <laughs> real? <laughs> well, I just like I, to keep it light. But, yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. I don't think it was an accident that I came yeah. across those books. Yeah. Not at all. Um, but uh, that's a sub- subject for another discussion sometime. That is. That is. This has been the Metaphysical Connection podcast from the Fedora Chronicles Network. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or Player FM. You can find our podcast via your Apple, Android, or Windows devices using those services and more. If your favorite podcast service or program doesn't feature us, let us know by shooting us an email via info at thefedorachronicles.com. That's also a great way to get in touch with Walt, Jim, and Eric, and let us know what you think of the podcast, as well as topic suggestions for a future show. If we use your suggestion, we'll send you a t-shirt or coffee mug. Just send along your size and preference with your email. You can be a part of the metaphysical connection between shows by joining us on our social media accounts. You can find us on Facebook by going to our metaphysical connection group and following us on Twitter at physics laxative. Most importantly, you can support the show by hitting the Patreon button on all of our show pages, metaphysicalpodcast.com. Patreons of the show get specials such as getting the podcast a day before the rest of the audience, heads up about future episodes, and other exclusives. Want some Metaphysical Connection swag of your own? Get your own damn Metaphysical Connection coffee mugs, t-shirts, keychains, and barbecue aprons at our Zazzle page. My house is full of them, yours should be too. Find them at www.zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. 
Don't forget to check out our show sponsor, the Trinity Whip Company. Traditionally made kangaroo whips, top quality craftsmanship in form as well as function. Handcrafted by Blake Brunning. Find his products at www.trinitywhipco.com. So for Walt, Jim, and Eric, this is Carol Fisk thanking you for listening and signing off. Until next time, keep your chin up and your bra, excuse me, fedora on. <laughs>